alone. Bring it back. Welcome to the Endurance Town USA podcast, a state of mind destination where endurance athletes of all levels connect. This first episode of our Faces of Endurance mini-series is brought to you by Race Slow and the San Luis Obispo Marathon, coming to the Central Coast April 26th to the 28th. For more information, visit raceslow.com. That's raceslo.com. I'm Travis Ford, producer and man behind the curtain here at the Endurance Town USA podcast. Today, our host, Samantha Pruitt, met up with Maddie Gregg in Morro Bay, California, and ran along with him down the Central Coast to San Luis Obispo. After their roadside conversation, Sam had a chance to sit down with Maddie over lunch in his trailer as they discussed Maddie's career at Apple and why he decided to resign to run 5,000 miles across America. But that's more than enough for me. It's now time to turn it over to Samantha and Maddie Gregg. Hey, so here we are hanging here out are. with Maddie. We are. Uh, we just ran from Morro Bay to San Luis Obispo on just a very small uh, humbling chunk for me of your journey running across America. We're sitting in front of Headstrong Fit eating burritos mm-hmm. in your motorhome. Great burritos. Have you named this motorhome, by the way? Does it have like a name? It doesn't have a name. Not no. yet. And it will, we will by probably the end of have a name by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you leave it up to me, you will. I hope so. Yeah, for sure. Sam, you get to name it. Cool. So I want to just kind of dive in a little bit more to um, who is Maddie? What's your story a little bit? And we can start with the basics, basically. Like, where'd you grow up? What'd your life look like growing up? Okay. So um, my name is Maddie Gregg, um, for people listening. Um, I grew up in a town called Nashua, New Hampshire. And I was there for a long time until I went to a boarding school. Um because what age was boarding school? Boarding school was at 16. Okay. Yeah. And um, great experience uh, all around. I went to uh, Phillips Exeter Academy, giving a shout out to them because I loved my experience there. It actually changed my life. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, before then, I was inspired um, to run by a couple of different things. Um, one was the movie that came out in 1983 called The Terry Fox Story. And it's one of my favorite stories of all time. Um one of my favorite movies. And of course that's where, if you're not familiar with the movie, um, basically Terry Fox was an amputee who ran across the country, um, unassisted. And, uh, it kind of inspired me to think maybe that's going to be on my bucket list someday. Mm. So I decided to do that. And, um, yeah, essentially it was a, it was a great, uh, it was a great movie. And I was only five years old when I saw it and, uh, it kind of like shaped things it's funny because I always look back in time and try to connect the dots of some of the stuff that, um, how, you know, how, what inspired me to actually come do the things that I do. And I realized that there are moments in time when I can do that. So one of the important moments in my life was when, um, you know, I, I was my father's best friend and my father was my best friend growing up. Um, and at the age of nine, I, I lost him, um, tragically lost him to alcohol and, you know, alcoholism is a big thing. It's a very difficult thing to overcome. And I think a lot of people struggle with it on a daily basis that may not um, be communicative of that struggle. And he, um, he struggled for it for, with it for a long time. But what was surprising is that you could never tell. Uh, you would never be able to tell because he was number one in New Hampshire in bench pressing. He was a very, very fit athletic guy. And so you'd never know um, that he was struggling. He used to take me out to, uh, this pond called Sanders pond. And it was actually part of, um, Sanders incorporated the, uh, the defense company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we used to run around this pond, um, and he would always run first 
and he would set the time for me, basically, that I would have to run Yeah, marathon. you had to beat him or what? Uh, he always wanted me to beat him. Yeah, he always <laughs> wanted me to beat him. And, and I never could because, you know, I'm, I'm, what, seven years old at the time. And he's a, you know, 42-year-old man running, running super around. Super beast. Yeah, he was a super beast. He was, he was a fast guy. And he would sprint around the pond. He would not make it easy for me. But towards the end, um, when I was nine years old, and I remember it was he was 43 and I was nine, I only lost to him by six seconds. Mm. And I'll always remember him saying um, that one time, he said, it's only going to be a matter of time before you can destroy me. Before me. Yeah, before you can destroy <laughs> me. And it was never about the competition with him. It was always about... Um, I think he just was proud of the fact that I was kind of coming along in my running and coming along with, you know, um, just as a person, as a, as a human being. And so it was kind of tragic to lose him in 1987, um, where he actually was, uh, he, he had a wonderful, uh, actually he came out to California, um, the week before, and he was working for Sanders at the time and he came out to California, um, and he had a wonderful time out here for a week. And um, the night that he passed away, he actually said that he wanted to move out to California. And, uh, you know, connecting the dots, looking backwards, I realized, well, right. maybe that was an influence in my life. All of that is an influence for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So he said, um, I want to uh, move out here. And I also, um, you know, and I, I don't know what that looks like. And I know that it might be San Diego or San Francisco, but I'm not sure. And that night he went uh, to a bar to kind of celebrate. Um, that he had a good uh, week, and then he walked across uh, a major highway in Nashua, and unfortunately, he got hit by a car and he passed away. And that that one act was very influential in my life in a couple of ways. Um, the the couple of ways are that we uh, <laughs> the when he passed away, I, I actually don't drink now, and I think that that's part of the reason as to why I don't drink. Okay. Probably the majority of the reason as to why I don't drink is because yeah. I saw the impact that it had in his life, but the also and the, yours and mine, absolutely mm -hmm. and mine. Um, and the other part of that is is that uh, it also kind of led to my love of tech because when he passed away, um, it was during the holidays, and the present that I got for that holiday was my first uh, Apple computer. Wow. So that present that I got was kind of looking back on it kind of led me to a life and a career of tech inside of um, Apple Inc. So you're nine, you get an Apple computer, talk about an amazing gift for a nine-year-old, and then you sort of dove headfirst into the technology around Apple and learning how, like, was it, was it just a way for you to sort of distract yourself from what was happening in life and there was this great object that you could pour attention into? It was... Um, there, there were combinations of a lot of things actually going on at the time. That's a good question. Um, I think what happened was we got my first, so I got my first Mac at that point. And what ended up happening is that my mom, who was an entrepreneur at the time, she was a very, very savvy entrepreneur. She wanted to start a desktop publishing company. Mm -hmm. So what she did was she, um, she, along with my uh, uh, stepfather, um, about a year later, started to kind of form this company in our basement. Um, called New Hampshire Magazine. And at that time, uh, I didn't realize it, but looking back on it, I realized that all the employees that actually worked in that basement had a lot of influence on me in terms of graphic design, yeah. in terms of, you know, animating, modeling. Um, you you know, had a magazine coding. 
building in your basement. Yeah. <laughs> and magazine. a mom who was one of the uh, leaders of that organization. Yeah, she was. And, yeah. you know, great influence in my life. She kind of stepped up when my dad um, passed away and was a big influence. Mm. So uh, that was that was big. And um, to that end, I just kind of like flourished in tech. I just had a we had, we had a dot com portion of the company that did very well. Um, you know, we sold the company in 1998 to a, lo a local newspaper and I went back to work for that company. Um, and during all of this, um, I, you know, I tried to, I think that the running part of my life never kind of went away. Mm. Um, that, that influence that my dad had at the very beginning where he took me to Sanders Pond, I always would either go back to that pond and try to race faster than I possibly could, remembering that what his time was at the very end, trying to race more and more quicker around that pond that was kind of important for me i never got into long distance it was always about like short distance sprinting mm -hmm. um because that's kind of what our competition was so it never really um impacted me to do long distances until much later in life mm, okay. so interesting so wait when are you working in this magazine high school or college i was working in the mag oh wow the or younger even younger oh okay. yeah i started working in the magazine um i would say 12 years old Okay. Yeah, 12 years so old. So you were I started. exposed to entrepreneurship, right? And then technology was part of what was happening there. But yes. media and creativity and design and all the cool things that go into creating a magazine. Absolutely. Yes. And and having all the outside influences of some of the employees that came through that were brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all on the cutting edge. Um, I know Photoshop is a big tool today. Uh, we were using Photoshop when it was beta. Mm. Um, so I got exposed to that at a very early age, and I'm very, very thankful for it. So. When you left high school, how did you determine what your education path would be? My education path? Uh, that's a good question. So my stepfather actually belonged to a long line of um, political figures. Uh, his, his, his family basically had a long line of political figures in New Hampshire. Um, his, great, his, his uncle was the governor of New Hampshire, um, one of the more prominent governors in New Hampshire, and he founded the political library in New Hampshire. Um, basically kind of set it up and it's a historical political library. He actually discovered something very interesting, which people don't realize is that um, a lot of people think that the Republican Party was formed. Um, I believe it's Ohio where they believe it was formed, but actually there's information to suggest that it was formed by Amos Tuck in New Hampshire, okay. in Exeter, New Hampshire. Um, but yeah, there's there's evidence to suggest that uh, the Republican Party was formed in New Hampshire. And um, it was my, my uncle, that my great uncle that uncovered that. Um, and also Judd Gregg, who has served as uh, a U.S. Senator and as governor. Um, for U.S. Senator, he served for three terms, 18 years, wow. uh, until he finally retired. He actually got elected, re-elected again, and then retired. Um, and he just retired not too long ago, about eight years ago. Yeah, so he's been a big influence, I think, from a political standpoint. Um, we've always been surrounded by a lot of political figures. In New Hampshire, it's very unique because we have all of the presidential candidates come through mm -hmm. because we're the first primary in the, in the nation. Mm -hmm. And so we've always kind of met um, the Clintons when they came through, the Bushes, um, you know, not necessarily affiliated with a particular party, but more about just kind of meeting these people and understanding like what their political platform is. And of course, I was young, so, mm -hmm. you know, my questions were... <laughs> kind of basic. I remember actually the first political person I ever met was Jesse Jackson, mm -hmm. uh, 19, must've been 1986 or 87. And I remember him coming up to me and shaking my hand. I know this is, <laughs> this is a long time ago. 
So you went to college knowing you wanted to stud, study political science? Yes. And you chose what school? I chose Holy Cross. Okay. So College of the Holy Cross. Um, throughout my, my high school career, I actually um, found a love for lacrosse. Uh, which is always referred to as the fastest game on two feet. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically just a bunch of sprinting, you know, essentially. You've got your, you know, your helmet, your pads on, you've got your stick, and then you go in there and you just fly. And, of course, I had to play midi because I was a sprinter. Mm -hmm. um, so I played midfield, and uh, so I was sprinting back and forth, trying to get the ball and, you know, defend as well as trying to, to uh, score. And um, I really wanted to do that in college. I actually wanted to kind of maybe take an athletic career, but, um, I took a shot to the back when I was in high school, that was pretty bad. So I had to say, you know what, maybe, maybe it's not for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, political science was always kind of my, my love of study, um, outside of, you know, anything technology and anything athletic. So I went to Holy Cross because it was a really well-known political science, um, place and uh it's well known for um for staffing fbi and cia where is it located it's in worcester massachusetts okay yeah so i went to worcester mass and um studied political science and i had some great professors and that's where uh, i actually uncovered the book that i fell in love with um democracy in america okay by alexis de tocqueville and the story behind that book is actually really interesting because Tocqueville essentially was a Frenchman um, from France that was sent here after the French Revolution to um, look at the American democracy as an experiment. Like, what can we glean from it? What can France glean from this American democracy experiment that they could take back and actually utilize after the French Revolution? What could they do to form their own government? And so he traveled around on horseback for, um, actually in, in, in um, uh, he, he did it uh, by wagon, essentially. So they loaded up wagons, and they basically did it by by uh, carriage horseback. What years were this? Uh, this started. So his first, he he had two tours. Um, the first one was um, the early eighteen hundreds. Okay. And then the second one was um, the eighteen thirties. Okay. So he took two tours. Um, went as far as Louisiana because that's as far as the country went at the time. And um, excuse me, he traveled to uh, prisons traveled to a lot of prisons, but he also traveled to cities and municipals and asked questions like, what, what's the landscape like around here? Um, you know, how much land do you own? What, um, how many workers do you have in the land? That type of stuff. And he quickly discovered and realized as he did some historical digging that, um, that the American democracy is founded, um, mostly by two groups. Um, the Puritans in Massachusetts and the uh, Yorktown expedition in Virginia. And so from those two groups, he basically was able to glean kind of not only what the current situation was with American democracy, but also where American democracy was headed. And in his essays, he predicted a lot of interesting things. He predicted the Civil War. Um, so he wrote about these in 1830, 1840. Wow. And sure enough, 20 years later, the Civil War happened. Um, and I think it's interesting to really go back and read that because it's still a poignant book today. It actually still has a lot of um, relevance mm -hmm. to the things that we deal with um, today when we, you know, turn on the TV and see how bad things can be. And, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of friends that are really disheveled with the way that their, you know, communities are going, with the way that their country is going. And there's a lot that you can glean from this book. Um, and it's very interesting to see how much how long that struggle has been going on. Mm. Um, 
I think media and technology have been bringing it to light mm -hmm. a little bit more, but it's always been there. Right. That struggle's always been there, you know. Um, but you didn't find out about the other communities or states or um, races, you know, all the things that are going on in America, unless you traveled there, right? Because how would you have gotten the information? So we don't get a right. newspaper from Denver, Colorado to our doorstep to know what's happening in Denver, you know, but now with the internet, we actually do. Right. And even more so in every second, we know what's happening everywhere mm -hmm. at any moment. Why was he going to prisons? Well, he was going to prisons because um, Tocqueville thought that if the democracy experiment was failing, then the failure would be found inside of those prisons. Okay. Um, people who have been ostracized, people who have tried to break um, the law, break the rules of the democracy could be found there. And I think that what he was able to kind of glean was that if, if the failure was going to happen, it would start there. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it'd be a microcosm reflection of society. Exactly. And it's ills. And it's ills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct. Wow. So you found this book mm -hmm. and you found political science and what happened after you left college, you went towards tech. I went back to tech. Yeah. <laughs> I went back to tech. I, I, I went actually back to the company that my, so my parents sold New Hampshire magazine and they had another entity called NH.com. And they, by that point they started an ad agency and all these other things, but they sold that entire thing to a local paper. And so the local paper asked me to come back after I got out of college and it was a great opportunity. I jumped at it. And so I was able to kind of, um, found a couple of things, um, the New Hampshire Theater Awards after, uh, as I started working there, I was actually the director of IT. So I was, I, that was my title when I went there. And so I was in charge of kind of the IT, but I also wanted to jump into the event space, mm -hmm. which I know you're big at. Mm -hmm. Um, the event space was fun for me. It was kind of my hobby. So they, they, uh, funded a couple of projects that we were able to do the best of New Hampshire, where we rented out this arena and brought together a bunch of different, uh, groups from the state to um you know give us basically the best clam chowder or the the nice. you know the best uh woodwork woodworking or mm -hmm. you know something and they would kind of bring their craftsmanship to this arena and we would just basically create a community out of it where you That's could see cool. things that mm -hmm. you couldn't see before yeah so it was really cool um and uh the new hampshire theater awards was kind of the same situation where we just focused on performing arts and there were some things in the North Country that people would not have known about, uh, you know, shows going on they wouldn't have known about or, you know, community in the North that was really good at um, at, at a certain type of performing art. Mm. And so we were able to bring that community together, kind of give it a head. And um, yeah, it, it just, you know, connecting the dots, looking backwards, I realized the community building was something I love doing. And you're still actively doing. Still, still trying. Yes. Mm -hmm. You left there and you went to Apple. I did. Yes. I, well, so there was, um, there was the nine 11 stint. Mm -hmm. So what happened was, um, on September 11, 2001, I think it changed a lot of people's lives. And I was, I remember, um, we had just moved, um, offices that day and I just brought the entire office, um, basically up and running. So I was in charge of the network and the IT and I had a couple of employees helping me getting the whole thing wired together. And that day was the day that everybody moved in. And a bunch of people didn't come to work on that day. And we were trying to figure out what was going on because we didn't, the internet wasn't as prevalent where we all had uh, notifications on our phones back then. I think people forget about that because it's been so long, but we didn't know right away that something had happened in New York 
but uh, somebody came into the office at one point and said, can we get a TV in here? Now, the one thing I didn't wire up was a TV. <laughs> so I had to scramble to try to find a TV to get that going. But I think the, 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 the visuals of seeing what happened that day were crazy for anybody that had to experience, experience it. I can't imagine seeing it live. I just can't even fathom. Oh, you didn't see it live? I mean, being there oh. on the ground when it was happening rather than seeing it on TV or streamed, you know? Gotcha. Well, and I, I was talking to a friend who was working only two blocks away at the time who I was asking questions about, or I was asking networking questions about. So as I was setting up the network, I was talking to, he was my um, roommate in college. Oh, and wow. so I'm asking him questions on AOL Instant Messenger back then. Mm -hmm. And he said, Maddie, I got to go. Something's happening. And he never came back online. And that and that's when the person had come in maybe 45 minutes later to tell us, like, turn on your TV. Wow. Uh, and it, it was just a crazy day. Mm -hmm. So I think it changed a lot of people's lives. And I think what it inspired me to do was move to New York so that I could um, write a musical, essentially, about these people um, that were, so the families, family members that were, um, you know, that had the victims in their families, um, I basically tried to chronicle their their you know their grief cycles and to see whether or not we could share that type of thing where it could be um, helpful to people that would go through these same grief cycles of tragedy and loss and real quick um, you know uh, and quick trauma that that happens yeah. to their lives. What's the name of that musical? It's called Nine Eleven. Okay. Yeah. And did you produce it? We produced a review of it. Okay. Uh, we never produced it fully. I think someday I'd like to get back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some of the challenges that we had is for a lot of people that we wrote this about, I think it was a little bit too soon. Mm -hmm. So I think we were a little ahead of our time because it, I basically just jumped at the chance to be able to go to New York and really learn um, for myself, like make this a learning experience for myself about, um, you know, how do you deal with grief? Mm -hmm. Because I had to deal with it early on in life. And I yeah. think a lot of people have had to deal with it in their lives as it relates to losing a very important loved one. Well, you never are done dealing with it. Right. It can yep. be with you your whole life, ideally, because that person was that important, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it also has um, subtle impacts on how it changes a person. Um, sometimes it's it's obvious in terms of the, the change, but sometimes it's subtle. And I think, you know, for me, I always try to do an exercise of looking backwards in my life to see how it has changed me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and I think that's always important to do. Mm -hmm. So. 9-11 happened, um, New York New York happened, and then, yeah, I started working for Apple soon after that uh, in New York City. In retail. In retail, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. love it. We so opened the uh, Fifth Avenue retail store. Okay. So that was a fun experience. It's the only 24-hour store in our fleet. The uh, amount of employees that we have there are 1,000. In have, one store? In one store. <laughs> we have over 1,000 employees at wow. uh, Apple Retail Fifth Avenue. That's wild. Yeah. And some great people. You obviously excelled in the company and went on to do a lot of other things, but what made you want to leave New York? Was it work and an opportunity at Apple or did the big city, like city living is pretty tough, can be tough? You know, I actually love living in New York. You do? I did. Uh -huh. I, I love living in New York. It was, um, it was perfect for the age that I was at. 20s, early yeah. 20s. Early 20s, mid 20s. It was perfect. Um, could I go back there now? I, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to say that I could. Um, I know my girlfriend is really excited to, to get back there and she, she, you know, she would do really, really well there. And I think we'll, we'll consider doing something like, you know, 
New Hampshire's not too far from New York, so we'll figure it out. But she's in theater, so it makes sense. Yeah, she's in theater. Mm -hmm. So, and she's very talented, and I can't wait to to see her someday on a Broadway stage. Mm -hmm. But she, but well, so for New York in in general, um, it was actually uh, Apple that uh, that came calling and said maybe you should come over to to California and and you know I I jumped at the chance. I didn't realize how excited I was, but getting back to the connecting the dots, looking backwards thing, I realized that my dad actually wanted to move right before you know, that night that he, that he passed away. And I, I kind of recount that story in my mind saying, okay, well maybe that had some influence in terms of my excitement of why I wanted to get that, get out there. Cause there's a lot of other States. Yeah. A lot of other States. <laughs> California's great though. I love this state. Yeah, it is cool. I and love Apple has so much opportunity there, right? So you probably figured, mm -hmm. let me go check this out. And if I love California, you know, anything can happen after that. Mm -hmm. Well, when I started with Apple, we laugh about this, but um, it, the, the numbers are mind boggling. When I started, there were probably 20,000 employees worldwide. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more now. We're, we're probably, we're pushing probably about 150,000 employees now. How many are on the campus actually in Northern California? Um, I don't know how big that is. I know it keeps the, expanding. The Apple Park itself probably fits about 12,000. So it's a city. Yeah, it's a city by itself. Yeah. And, and I, I know, you know, Cupertino, we've expanded into Sunnyvale. Um, we've got some places in Santa Clara and San Jose. And we'll keep expanding. Um, I say will as if I'm still with the company because I've just been there so long. But it's, um, yeah, it's a great, great company. Um, they, they have a wonderful conscience, which I think is wonderful. Tim Cook has been a great CEO for many years. He's kind of instilled this um, idea that what we do doesn't necessarily have to be about the bottom line. It has to be about what's right. What, what are we doing that's right? And what can we do to lessen our, you know, our waste footprint, to lessen our, um, you know, the, the energy that we use from, um, you know, consumables. And that's my favorite part about working there is that we have a teams, dedicated teams of people that try to figure that stuff out mm -hmm. completely. Um, he hired Lisa Jackson, who is was the um, the EPA administrator for Obama for many years, and she has gotten the company to the point where it's 100% renewable energy. Wow! Across the board, and I'm just I'm shocked with the amount of uh, you know amount of time that she's been able to do that in. But um, but she's amazing, and yeah, we we've, we've got a great team over there. So being there and being on that campus, what was your job? I mean, how did you move through the system there? It's pretty, it's pretty vast. Oh, it's vast. And, and, it, but it, it was smaller. The funny thing is, is that I, I always felt like it was a small organization. Um, it, it is, it is called, uh, lovingly and internally, it's called the world's great, the world's biggest startup. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason being is because the way that we've always kind of typically worked is that we've taken small teams and we've empowered them to do great things. So you always felt when you were working on a project that you were on kind of this small team that was doing an amazing thing. And um, that's been the formula for success for many years. Mm -hmm. um, so it, while the amount of employees have grown, it's not necessarily that you felt like you were lost in the shuffle. Okay. And I always kind of appreciated that about Apple. I always appreciated that about, you know, um, working, working and seeing the growth happen inside of the company. I mean, publicly we were a, you know, when I started, we were $32 billion. We were a $32 billion company. And when I ended, we were 1.1 trillion. Wow. 
Yeah, we were a $1.1 trillion company. And when you say ended, it's because you resigned in order to do this project and run across America. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's it's still a big part of your family and who you are, I can tell. It'll always be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It will always be. The mission, the mission will always be the same, which is just impact impact people's lives, but also impact your own. And mm -hmm. that was a big, a big part of like just working there. And um yeah, so and I resigned. Um they have a run club. They have a running club. They have an amazing. I gotta go to the running club. Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you should. And and there's some amazing people that are part of that. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, I'll put you in touch with them because they're they're great people. But so the organization they they kind of break out not only into just things that are tech. Yes. It's also things about like well, you said improving yourself or improving the lives of ourselves and others right? right so again so it circles back to humans and the human connection element and you're not just building a technology platform and all these great mm -hmm. bells and whistles to do cool stuff yeah that's great how does it affect the human beings behind the great stuff how does it affect the yeah. people building the systems and the products and if it's not improving your lives why are we doing why it? are we doing it mm -hmm. right yeah and it and i think tim that i think that's the difference between what steve and tim um have been able to do uh steve steve jobs lovely man great man he was focused on products he was focused on making the best product that the you cool possibly shit. can the cool <laughs> yeah what's next mm -hmm. and i think that everybody kind of like rallied around that vision and it was a great vision and it got us to where we needed to be tim brings a little bit more of a holistic approach to working at apple which is okay, the products are going to be the most important thing that we do, and we're going to continue to focus on that. And we want lieutenants to be very focused on that. But we also have to consider that an individual has a time limit on this planet mm -hmm. and that they are going to be working through these very difficult challenges to make these products happen. So how can we support them in a way that makes their lives better? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very, it's a very interesting mission because you can't make somebody's li life better by creating a simple device, unless your life is is made better by some of the things that we can create outside of just that product. Mm -hmm. So, and, it, and it's also kind of like, it, it's influencing our mission right now because you look at the watch mm -hmm. and you know, the watch is a very important part of everything that we do technologically, but also, you know, it, it could just have been used for heart rates and things like that. But I think now what we're trying to do is figure out how we can, um, we can save lives using the watch because we know that people are always using them. They always have them on. So what are some of the ways that we can, uh, we can use the watch to, um, uh, to make it so that we can save lives. That's interesting. I don't wear a watch and I don't have an Apple watch and I don't know a lot about the technology, but when we were running today, we were talking about, are you wearing a garment? Are you doing the Strava and all the thing? And I said, I don't do any of that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm not opposed to it if I felt like there was something else to it where it served a genuine purpose in my life. It wasn't a driving force of how fast or how long or some measuring tool, mm -hmm. you know, because I just am not really a super fan of that right now in my life. But if there's other pieces to this watch that, you know, make humans' lives better, saving lives, I mean, I don't even know how a watch could save lives, but just the fact that that's even an opportunity with a designed product is mm -hmm. fascinating. You know, yeah, and it's something that we're trying to, you know, that 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 is baked into the design mm. of the actual watch. Um, simplicity is important, but then also utilitarianism is right behind that. Mm -hmm. Plus, it better look good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 
that's where the simplicity part comes in in theory it's like if it's simplistic then we can make it look really really sleek and decent and yeah interesting so where's the big trajectory where your life you know what happened and maybe it wasn't one moment maybe it was a a stacking of things Mm -hmm. where it all aligned but i know for you creating the goal to run across america took two years but why did you even create the goal where did it come from what's the root I, so I'd been working on products for 15 years and I thought it was wonderful to do that. Um, but I realized how much I learned in terms of growing fast, um, innovative, great teams of people who can execute at a very, um, high, high stakes pace. And I think that, that Apple is flush with those people because we all came up through that hyper growth time frame, and we know what's required to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's a unique experience, but there aren't many companies, actually there are none, no companies that have gone through that type of growth in that short amount of time. And I think what it requires is not only the ability to um, think quickly, um, what we call—it's funny—we we actually um, in our in our talent organization we have something that we call agile learning, which is a very important way that we assess talent that comes into the company or how we actually shift talent around the organization. Um, agile learning is a very important uh, concept, which basically deals with the idea of how quickly can you pick things up mm-hmm. um, and how quickly then can you kind of connect the dots with what it is that you learn to something else that might be completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. So that's a very important tool that we use um, to assess how great our talent is inside of the organization. And I think from a perspective of creating change in other areas outside of tech, I think that I could maybe use some of those talents to kind of apply it to other areas oh, for sure. of people's lives, of mm-hmm. communities. And um, that, that's actually the speech that I gave when I left Apple and I had, you know, a small group of people that were in front of Apple Park and they did the, the loop with me and somebody asked me to say something. And basically what I said to them was, it is wonderful the things that you're doing here to change lives you will never get an opportunity to do it at the level that you're doing it. But what I would recommend is that at any time, if consumer electronics isn't your thing, the things that you've learned with these people at this time and under these circumstances is very, very unique. And I think that you should consider applying it in other areas. For sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I said to the people um, that were there, I said, if you ever turn on the news and you feel like it's daunting that you can't change the political system, that you can't change the way that things are going. Look at what we've done. We've done the impossible and the people around you, you can believe in them and you can trust them and you can build teams that can do the most amazing things imaginable and you can overcome any obstacle Mm -hmm. that's put in your, in your path. Mm -hmm. So I tried to leave that. And I think a lot of people took that to heart and they still contact me today and say, you know, that was a, very interesting, you know, parallel that you drew for me because I always think about it in terms of my, uh, in terms of my, my time, um, just my time at Apple. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. It's also an event thing. So I run Ray Slow, right? We produce events. You have to be nimble to do the macro and the micro. But you have to be able to move between all the different spaces Mm -hmm. and then wedge humans in between and all the complexities that humans create, right? Right. So that's another reason that you really um, also do events and theater production and different things that you're passionate about Mm -hmm. and are a writer. You're a blocker. You're going to write a book. Mm-hmm. So all of those skills, you're in a prime example of the speech that you gave to the people <laughs> at Apple, right? All those skills that you, over your entire lifetime, not just at Apple, obviously, but that's what will drive your next passion and project and what's driving you right now. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this book that you're going to write. So the book I'm going to write is called um, Democracy in America 2. And ding, it's, ding, ding, ding. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, you probably guess a little bit about what it, what it's about, but it's essentially a an extension of the essays that Tocqueville wrote in the 1800s. And really, it's just a check-in on the uh, American democracy experiment. Okay. It's basically to say... We've, it's still an experiment. It's still an experiment. It'll always be an experiment, <laughs> It'll always right? be an experiment. It'll always be an experiment, and That's that'll be awesome. okay. It'll yeah. be okay. There, there will never be a finished product of American democracy. <laughs> Uh, if there was, we might be in trouble. So right. We might we might want to reconsider that. But um, the the important thing to note is that um, you know Tocqueville predicted a lot of things, but the things that he couldn't predict are what impact would technology and communication and the expansion of that have in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's the part that might have been missing from his essays. And so what I'd like to do is basically kind of buttress those essays. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to say, you know. Now that communication is a big part of the way that um, the way that the American democracy is growing, how can we change that? Like, or, or I'm sorry, what is that? What is that impact to American democracy? Mm-hmm. Um, which is more important? It's more important than change um, because that's not that's not relevant to it. But yeah, so how can um, how can communication, how can technology, all these things that we've introduced just in the last 15 years, uh, what impact does that have on our American democracy? And I think that's an important question to ask and um, continuously ask because as time goes on and the more that we download ourselves into our phones and our computers, um, we need to continue to remember that the most important thing that we have around us is community. Absolutely. And I want to stress that as much as possible, being from the tech industry and seeing the changes that have been made mm-hmm. um, around me. I, I'm, I'm hoping that people still understand that community will be the most important thing moving forward. If we don't have human connection and people aren't connected to one another, whether they have the same beliefs, beliefs or polar opposites, we don't have anything. Like what is society, right? It's built right. off of that fabric. So finding that common thread or telling the story or finding the common ground and all of that is part of your mission crossing the United States? Yes. Okay. You're stopping people. You're having conversations sort of like we did today. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, it, and I, I value that conversation dramatically. Like I'm looking forward to, to getting some time, writing down some notes, um, especially just because from your perspective, you're... Um, you're a uh, you're a doer, mm. and um, aside from my personal beliefs that we need more doers in this world, um, the the things that you're able to accomplish in your own community uh, are very impactful, and they they create the sense of community that is 
you know, that is, that is Morro Bay's, that is San Luis Obispo's, that is uh, Moab, Utah, like those things that you actually contributed to the community are tangible and they're effective and they give kind of like this figurehead of things that people can, um, that can, they can relate to, they can glom onto. And I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do as a society is to create identities that are local. Mm. Um, I will always, I think that's going to kind of be, as I, as I run through the country and as I have been running through the country, I've been just stopping people like ranchers or farmers. And I've just kind of stopped dead in my tracks and said, Hey, that's a cool sign that you have on your property. And so I say, can I take a picture of it? And also, you know, tell me about this sign or tell me about your ranch. How long have you been around? Tell me about this, um, this area which is, uh, you know, it, it might be a remote area that um, has a lot of history behind it that I can actually learn about. And um, I'm finding that not only is it intrinsic, be intrinsically benefiting me, I mean, I can't tell you what the experience is doing to me in these first two weeks. Mm -hmm. It's completely changed my perspective on a lot of things. Um, but also, um, as, I, as I capture all of this and I get it into a book format, I can share it out with the world and I hope that it has an impact there. Yeah, but what's cool is like you're not going out as a teacher like I have uh, something to say and I need no. to be heard. And so I'm going to go on this journey and I'm going to preach or tell my story or do some impart my wisdom mm -hmm. or whatever that looks like. In a lot of instances, we see that not mm -hmm. just politically, but in a lot of different arenas. But you're actually the student mm -hmm. and you're learning by the community and the people that you engage with, like you're the one taking in the information and then deciding what to do with it. And yeah. then learning every single mile, you're learning something different about where you're at at that given mile and then yourself, how that's affecting you as a person. Yeah. That's a great way to so put it. Cool. Yeah. So I, cool. I, I think that perpetually being the student on this journey has been, um, will be the, uh, the most enriching experience of my life. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love learning. Um, in some ways, you know, I've been an expert at Apple for many years and I've sometimes forgotten what it's like to just be the learner. Totally. You know? Yeah. Because you're in leadership or you're teaching right. or you're mentoring or whatever that's all looking like, you know, and it's so nice to be on the other side. Very much so. Mm -hmm. And be a sponge. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how can people find you if they want to connect with you, whether they want to donate to the nonprofit that you're raising money for as you run across America sure. and or just the rest of your story and who you are as a person? Sure. So, um, and we haven't, talked about this um too much but the uh you know obviously what's going on right now in california makes this very relevant whereas we have a lot of fires going on in paradise california and um, the southern parts of the state and so there's some of the most outrageous wildfires we've ever had and so firefighters and first responders are out there constantly basically trying to contain those those fires and they're being exposed to a lot of different um, a lot of, a lot of different things that we've never been, had to be exposed to. And so they put their lives at risk, not only at the moment that they're fighting the fire, but that, that moment of risk does not leave with that, you know, just being in that place. They take a lot of that stuff with them. And so firefighters have been getting cancer at a much higher rate than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So what I do, what I've done is I've supported the firefighter cancer support network as part of this run. And um, Firefighter Cancer Support Network is this organization that basically trains firehouses how to get rid of a lot of these things that they take with them 
um, you know, proper disposal of, of clothing, um, you know, hoses, all these other things in terms of when they get, you know, outdated. And so they not only do that, but they also do a lot of research for cancer as a whole. Okay. So I'm pretty happy to support that organization. Um, you know, we're trying to raise a million dollars for them. That's okay. a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They, if I think the million dollars for them would be a huge boon to an organization that small. Mm-hmm. They're starting out, they're getting a lot of, um, they're getting their sea legs under them. And I think they're doing a great job, but I would like to see them expand into all 50 states, which mm-hmm. they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I think a million dollars would be great to, to go towards that. Awesome. Yeah. And then how can people connect with you, follow you on this journey, mm-hmm. which is going to last how many days and how many miles? Um, the journey is going to be 24 states. It's going to be 5,075 miles, and it's going to be 275 days. Okay. And if they want to track you and follow you on social media or on the tracker? The best way to do that would be through Maddie Gregg Runs on Instagram. Um, I do have a public Facebook page called Maddie Gregg, and I do post a lot of photos there. Um, I think it's just... I think we're most responsive on Maddie Gregg Runs. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's the instant one that... uh, that we get the most information out of and we can share and we can share ideas. And again, if anybody is, um, you know, kind of, if you're looking for the, uh, the trip itinerary, get in touch with me through that, the Maddie Greg runs, um, Instagram, uh, send me a message and then I will get you the itinerary. And I would love to, you know, just kind of connect with you as I go through your local region. Mm -hmm. And then when this journey is over, I know that, is a really far away right mm-hmm. now in your mind and in your body as well. But um, do you have a plan about what might be next or are you literally doing this one mile at a time and we'll see what happens? Letting it evolve. I think right now the plan is to do one mile at a time for most things. Um, there is talk I would like to run for office when I get back to New Hampshire. Okay. Um, but the thing I'm most excited about right now is the idea that um, that we bought my dad's? Uh, so my father had built a house in Nashua before he passed away, and we moved out of that house in 1994. And on my 40th birthday, just a couple of months ago, I was able to buy that house again. Awesome! And so I'm very excited to just move back into that house. Yeah, yeah, and take on that project of whatever that looks like. Yeah, uh, making it your home. That's right. Right, making an extension it my home. of the family home in your home. That's correct. Cool. They've already, the entire family has already turned over all Christmases and Thanksgivings. Awesome. Well, you're an event planner. That's right. That should be fun. (laughs) Yep. I'm an event planner, but I'm not, I'm not really good at uh, cooking turkeys. So that's. No, no. Well, you can recruit (laughs) others for that. That's right. That's cool. Well, this has been such a pleasure, not only to spend the last couple of days with you and run with you today, but just to get to know you. And I'm sure we'll stay connected now. That's how it works. Absolutely. And and thank you to you and to Race Slow and to the cities of San Luis Obispo and, um, and Morro Bay. I mean, it's been a wonderful experience. Everybody's been great. The Central Coast loves runners. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> You're one of us. Cool. And that's a wrap. Thank you. Hey, a huge thank you to Maddie for carving out time to chat with Sam and allowing her to run with you today on one of your very first legs of this 5,000-mile journey you have. You can follow Maddie along on his adventures at maddiegreg.com. That's M-A-T-T-Y-G-R-E-G-G.com. If you're on Instagram, you can follow him at maddiegregruns for behind-the-scenes videos, photos, and all kinds of fun. And thank you for joining us on this adventure to Endurance Town, USA, where we get to sit down with regular people living the endurance lifestyle. 
And thanks again to our partners at Race Slow and the San Luis Obispo Marathon for making this first episode of our Faces of Endurance miniseries possible. If you haven't yet, hit the subscribe button on your device now to hear more great stuff as it lands. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at EnduranceTownUSA for behind-the-scenes photos, updates, and more. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time we go on this journey to Endurance Town, USA. Bring it back.